1: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Before we begin, I've got some big news. I have just written my first book, Happy Not Perfect, upgrade your mind, challenge your thoughts, and free yourself from anxiety. The book will teach you my easy flex method for more flexible thoughts that will help change your thinking to transform your life. You'll read about my own journey from stress, low self-esteem and negativity, and how I was able to turn it around by learning how my mind worked from world leading experts like my podcast guests and understanding what would help my mind work better for me. If you've enjoyed my show, please pre-order the book in the link in the show notes. I can't wait for you to read it
1: and start practicing a flexible mindset. We hurt each other frequently by accident. And often we don't know that we do it. But when we find out, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to fix things. And when things have gone wrong between you and someone else, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. There often is another chapter that you can write. You can repair many, many things. But we often don't think we can. We don't think of it. So, I think it's really great to learn that we don't we're not stuck with things going wrong. We can fix them.
0: Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. And this show is about upgrading our mind, our energy, and our understanding of how we can live life to our fullest potential. Over the next few weeks, I'm interviewing thought leaders, scientists, nutritionists and experts to share tips and tricks for how we can shed the old and step into the new. I hope you join me on the journey. This week, my guest is a very special woman whose work is healing the world every day. Molly Howes is a clinical psychologist with more than three decades of experience and a global speaker through molly's private practice and in her writing she explores conflict within relationships and how to heal past and present hurt through her research molly studies interpersonal aspects of depression and other mental health issues she is the author of the globally celebrated book a good apology four steps to make things right how good are you at saying sorry when was the last time you said sorry? I can't wait to speak to Molly today to find out what the best way is to say sorry. It's such a easy but difficult word and what it means for us and the world if we all got better at saying sorry. I really enjoyed reading her book and by the end of it you certainly become a better apologiser which is a life skill I think we can all benefit from.
1: What is a favorite quote you like to return to often? I wish I knew the source of this quote, um, but I I think it's so valuable uh, in many contexts. And one of them is relationships between two people. You may speak as if you're right, but you should listen as if you're wrong. Oh, that's good. And why do you return to that one? Because we forget that we don't know the whole story. You know, we, we focus on our own experience and... It really behooves us to be humble about what we don't know. We don't know anything about the other person's perspective. We don't know what led them to do what they did. We don't know what um, how they view what happened. They don't know how we might have impacted them. So I think it's, it helps us be humble and curious. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of
0: recently and why?
1: Well, recently I... I was writing this book about apologies and I had a conflict with one of my siblings (laughs) who told me I had hurt him and I was not patient and receptive and curious. (laughs) I was mad and resistant and defensive. And, and I then was embarrassed that I'd been so resistant and defensive. So it took me a while to figure out that I needed to do step one in the apology model, which is to listen to the other person. And um, so I had to call back and ask for a conversation and thank him for telling me that I'd heard him and ask him to tell me more about stuff I didn't want to hear, because it was better for our relationship if I did.
0: Wow. It's so interesting, because I obviously talk a lot about mental well-being. And sometimes I find myself being such a hypocrite, because it's one thing to know, and there's another thing to do what you know. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: how do you define happiness? I think self-acceptance and self-compassion are central. We're so likely to criticize ourselves. You know that's part of the perfectionism curse. But then we criticize each other too. So I guess I think life is challenging, and if we're trying to do it with um, ethics and morality and fairness and kindness, We deserve some compassion from ourselves about that and to kind of give ourselves a break about doing our best, learning and then getting better, but doing our best is good enough. That is so reassuring to hear, especially at the beginning
0: of the year when we kind of set off with maybe crazy resolutions. That is just such a nice thing to hear from you today. So let's dive into this absolutely brilliant book of yours, and we're going to start off with probably quite a simple question, which is, why is sorry so important?
1: It's important because we we hurt each other all the time, frequently, by accident, and often we don't know that we do it, but when we find out, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to fix things, and I think the most important take-home message from this book is that when things have gone wrong between you and someone else, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. There often is another chapter that you can write. You can repair many, many things, but we often don't think we can. We don't think of it. It's not sort of on our radar. It's not what we see uh, demonstrated by other people in public or even by our family members. I think it's really great to learn that we're not stuck with things going wrong. We can fix them.
0: And also in your book, you dive into... Actually, sorry has great benefits in terms of even for your health. Yeah. Would you mind sharing some of the research that you found around the benefits of saying sorry?
1: Well, for one thing, you preserve relationships longer, and relationships help you live longer. <laughs> it's not, they not only make you happier, they make you healthier. So preserving good relationships rather than losing them is a very uh, good health exercise. There's some data about the uh, reinforcing power of the uh, hormones that go along with being right and winning an argument and how great a feeling that is but that the feeling of being attached and the oxytocin that's released in your system from that is even more rewarding it feels better
0: so If there are obviously all these benefits, and I think sometimes, you know, even just hearing you say it helps your health, you know, it's much better for us to be connected in harmony rather than conflict. Why do we then find it so difficult to say sorry? And what are the most common problems in your research you found when it came to
1: saying sorry? Yeah, it's a great question. It's such an obvious thing to do and it's so hard. (laughs) It's another reason we should be uh, self-compassionate if we're trying to do it because it's not really our fault. The fact is our brains are wired to be efficient. Neuroscientists tell us that we wanna use as little energy as possible and our brains already consume more than their share of energy. So going back to visit something again that we did that was wrong or a mistake is really inefficient. We are terrible at seeing our mistakes and identifying them. We are very confident that we don't make mistakes even when we do. And we have, we're subject to all kinds of sensory distortions and optical illusions. And all of that is very well documented. Those things are hardwired. That is not stubbornness and resistance. That's not an individual weakness. That's just the way humans work. And on top of that, there are a lot of myths, a lot of cultural biases that suggest it's a sign of weakness, for example, to apologize, or that... If you apologize, it means that you're uh, taking all the blame or that if you're in a good relationship, you don't need to apologize because the person should know. Uh, Or if you didn't mean to hurt someone, you didn't hurt them. All those are myths. They're not true, but they're very common. (laughs) They're widespread. And the last reason is that we don't see anybody do it. We very rarely witness good apologies.
0: So what is the relationship between sorry and
1: blame and shame? Well, for one thing, shame is different from guilt. And it's an important difference because psychologists sometimes say that guilt is feeling bad about something you've done and shame is feeling bad about who you are. As such, guilt can be very productive. It can drive you to fix something that's a mistake or that's um, something you've done that you regret. It can lead you to reach out to someone. Shame, on the other hand, tends to make you shut down and withdraw and be smaller and don't communicate. So it's less productive. In fact, it's very wasteful. We tend to just use it to feel terrible. And then there's blame. (laughs) Blame is a good concept for court, maybe, for uh, legal wrongs. But it's terrible in relationships. It's the wrong path to follow, I think, the search for blame, trying to pin it down. And we, we fight like crazy not to be blamed for things. But in my view, it's possible to take responsibility for a repair, even if you didn't cause the harm. If you're not to blame, but you're, for example, benefiting from it, you're still responsible to fix it. And you don't have to say, I'm at fault. You can say, I care about this outcome and I want to change it. And that's a really uh, sort of freeing concept for me. As for many people, people won't apologize because they think that means they're taking all the blame and then they're going to be held accountable. Even in the United States, even in medical malpractice situations, uh, for medical error situations, it turns out that saying, I'm sorry, does not make you more likely to be sued. It makes you more likely to have a successful outcome for everybody, the patient, the family, the doctor. So it's a myth that you can't say, I'm sorry, without taking too much blame.
0: I think you touched upon this, you know, a point that there is up until now been a a lot of fear, I guess, around this word, sorry. So that's why I think on the whole we're kind of bad apologizers. Mm -hmm. And it goes into the neuroscience, which I think is so interesting when we start to understand like the biology behind what potentially prevents us from being a good apologizer. And the one thing that you talk about, which I also thought was interesting is the fact that we immediately want to go on the defensive. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, one thing
1: is, We like to think of ourselves as good people, most of us, and as people who don't hurt other people and don't make mistakes. So if someone says, "Uh, you screwed up or you hurt me, that challenges the concept that we have about ourselves. So we're going to fight that. And another thing is that intention versus impact problem that I alluded to with a myth list. If you didn't intend to hurt someone and they tell you that you did, you know, your your inclination is to argue. I didn't mean to hurt you. I no, you got it wrong. That's the same problem as the one where you think you know the whole story when you don't. Even somebody you're really close to, there are data about that too. We're often wrong. We're just we're just wrong <laughs> a lot. And so if you know that, it's like a blind spot that you have to take into account. As if you're driving, you know you can't see a car coming, so you have to take that into account. It's the same problem. We can't tell about our impact. So it behooves us to ask and
0: listen. So bearing in mind, basically, we've all been created as naturally bad apologizers. Yeah. I think this is so much evidence to suggest why we need to all practice getting better at saying sorry. And you have come up with a four-step model to help us in this. So I would love for you to take us through the four steps. And uh, what I really enjoyed about the book is that you've actually added scripts for each step, which is really helpful because actually finding the right words, to say I think is part of the battle and uh, Molly helps us get through that so if you could take us through the four steps that'd be excellent yes
1: so step one is uh, not about saying anything it's not about doing anything it's about listening in couples therapy we often say don't just do something stand there you don't have to fix the problem yet you don't have to say anything yet what you have to do is learn what the problem is which means usually asking the other person and listening to what they say. Your task here is to understand the injury to the other person enough that you'll really get it. You'll really you'll really know what happened to them as a result of your action or inaction, whether it was intended or not. It's an invitation for a conversation. It's not a demand for forgiveness or anything like that. I, I do want to say, though, that Once you've decided to do step one, once you've made that shift out of defensiveness and into deliberately opening yourself to information from the other person, it's not that hard. It's the decision to do it, the deliberately shifting from our natural defensiveness into openness. That's hard. But once you're there and someone you care about is telling you how they feel, you feel it. You care. You feel empathy naturally. And if there's any defensiveness left, it often drops. I, I've seen people who are in the middle of a heated argument. And if they can stop and ask, well, the apologizer can ask what happened, and they hear from their beloved, for example, about how hurt she was or he was, they just stop being defensive. <laughs> they say, oh, my God, ah, I hate that you hurt. I hate that it was because of something I did. So let's move on to
0: step two. So just to cover, step one is being open to information and welcoming information and listening. Yes, yes.
1: Great, step two. Step two is um, what we think of as an apology, usually. When we think of an apology, we think it's saying I'm sorry. So this is the statement of regret and empathy and responsibility. It might not even have the word sorry in it, But it can be very simple, like, I'm sorry I hurt you, which, you know, a few minutes ago, you didn't even know you did. But once you know, (laughs) you can say, I'm sorry I hurt you, which has a very different feeling from, I'm sorry you're so sensitive that you feel that way, or, you know, (laughs) or I'm sorry, but you hurt me first, or any of those things. Just, I'm sorry I hurt you with feeling is a really powerful thing to say. And if you've heard the whole thing in step one, then you know what you're apologizing for. Sometimes people apologize for the wrong thing. They don't know what it really is yet. So they say the wrong, they say pick the wrong aspect of it. So once you know, you can make a good statement of apology, of regret.
0: That is so true, can I just say, about your differentiating. I'm so sorry that you feel that way. I can't tell you how many annoying conversations I've been on. Even just hearing people recounting a conversation to me, and they said, well, I said I'm sorry that, I, you know, that you're feeling like that. And it is so undermining of the person's feelings. And it's a terrible habit that seems to have kind of picked up in popularity.
1: Yes. There's a list of those bad apologies in the book, too which are funny, but if you read them, you'll cringe because you'll recognize things you've done wrong. You know, we've, we've all done that. What are some other bad apologies? I already said I'm sorry, so why aren't you open? <laughs> 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 I'm sorry if, if, if I did that. I'm sorry for <laughs> things that happened. There's a lot of things like that.
0: Yeah. I think that for me, the number one annoying one is I'm sorry that you feel like that. It's just, is the worst, but it really gave me, you are so right, it gave me a big chuckle actually. Yes, yes. <laughs> Reading through them. But a good step to apologizing is just owning up and presenting a sorry
1: very cleanly. Responsibility is the thing, right? I'm sorry, I hurt you. And it can be followed by, uh, I would never do that on purpose. But I can see that I did it, mm. you know, which is, is so responsible. And it doesn't mean I meant to hurt you. It means I did hurt you, and now I see that I did.
0: And also, what's also beautiful about this step is you're saying, I see you. You know, you're actually recognizing the person in front of you or, you know, the person you're speaking to. Uh, such a beautiful step. So, what's step three?
1: Step three is making the wrong right, it's restitution or reparations. And in law, that usually means, or at least in U.S. law, I'm not sure how it's framed other places, it's framed as making the other party whole. And it usually means financially whole, the the status that they had before the harm occurred. In relationships, it's usually not material, but it might be symbolically, like you might replace a lost or damaged object but more often, it's other kinds of things. It's uh, between two people. It's often a do-over. You know, let's, let's try again. Let me try to get it right this time. This thing that I ruined for you. You know, if somebody doesn't show up for something important, um, is there a way to make up for that? Sometimes there isn't. And you can't go back in the past, obviously. But sometimes there is. And sometimes they can be very sweet and surprisingly powerful, even though they're very corny and seem silly I have a friend who, whose husband was very grumpy one day, and, and everybody got mad at him for being such a grouch. And, uh, and then in the middle of the night, she woke up and realized it had been his birthday, and everybody had forgotten. So <laughs> she felt terrible. And then she and the kids organized a, a week of dad days, and they made his favorite foods and got him little presents and made gifts for him and drew him pictures and cards and things. And he, he says that's his favorite birthday um, because they, they made it up to him in such a loving way that he could tell he was cared for. So the original hurt gets folded into a nicer experience. Um, but they, the healing doesn't happen until things are actually made right. So often we just
0: think a sorry is a nice way just to get rid of the uncomfortable feeling and it stops there. But actually that's a really subtle point. That's the beginning of it to really kind of really show that person that you do feel sorry about what you've done or said. And I love one of your scripts for step three, you know, you encourage people to say, please tell me if you see anything else I can do to make this right. And again, I just think it's a lovely to ask them uh, rather than as you said, it's quite easy to misunderstand what you've done wrong and pick up on the wrong thing.
1: So that I thought that was really a lovely point. This is why flowers are not necessarily a good step three. (laughs) Because sometimes when people say they're sorry, they send flowers. And it's kind of nice. But also it's, it's uh, vague. Yeah, it's not clear what they're actually saying with the flowers, except maybe I love you, which is good. And the recipient often feels obliged to be appreciative as if it does repair the situation when it doesn't.
0: Ooh, that is such a subtle point. You're right. There is this kind of, and then it can move on to, well, don't you like the flowers? You know, if you then don't give an overwhelming, oh gosh, thank you. They're so lovely. It kind of brings the conflict on. And actually the person who was hurt in the first place is
1: slightly undermined. Yes, indeed. Indeed. The person might have really good intentions with the flowers. It's just that they're misguided. Maybe a nice note along with the flowers. Yeah. Pinpointing the reason why they're sending the flowers. I know this doesn't really go all the way, but this is my start. That's a good thing to say. The beauty of human behavior and how subtle it is and completely changing a situation is amazing. Step four. Step four is making sure that the hurt doesn't happen again. And so... If someone has hurt you the same way multiple times, you would be not very smart to think it's going to change this time, right? So the person has to make a convincing plan to really change, and then they have to follow through on it.
0: So what happens if people keep failing at step four and keep making that
1: same mistake? Well, they're not repairing the relationship. They're they're allowing the breach between the people, the breach in trust to deepen, in fact.
0: And in your book, you do write about this, but when should you not accept an apology?
1: If you don't care about the person or the relationship um, and it's not going to help you, you don't have to accept it. It's on them to try, but, it, but you don't, you're, you're under no obligation to accept it. There are lots of good reasons to accept it, but you don't have to. If there's been abuse, you don't have to engage in a conversation. You don't have to do anything with that person. Unless you want to, if you don't believe they're sincere, no, uh, I mean a, a fake apology, if you will, is just so ugh, unfortunate.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, unfortunate is a good <laughs> word. And what's
0: the best way to receive a sorry? Because again, like we're talking about, actually a very awkward human moment, I guess, because. You know, everyone's trying to navigate how the other person is feeling, thinking, doing. We all want to remove that idea that would possibly could have hurt someone. And also even the hurt person doesn't want to stay feeling hurt. So what is the best way to receive a sorry? It's really great
1: if you can take your time. And that means that same kind of patient breathing, maybe, um, before answering, just waiting a beat and seeing how you feel about it. It's a very common mistake to forgive too fast. And then it doesn't really get fully processed, even though the person was intending to fix it and was maybe willing to. And and you don't have to do it the first time they ask either. You might not be ready. Often we're still too hurt or raw or angry and can't hear it yet. So you might say, if someone offers you a conversation about an apology, you might say, can we thank you? Um, I'm not ready for that yet. Can we try again on Wednesday?
0: I think often people are afraid to say sorry because the recipient, they're worried this is going to then snowball into, and you did this, you did this, and you did this. What's your advice to those people who are actually a little bit afraid of this then snowballing out of control? And you know, the person not accepting the apology or then, you know, blowing up into something huge. And then the person who does want to give a sincere apology then feels too scared to give it in the first place.
1: Yeah, that could happen for sure. I mean, it is a vulnerable position to start this conversation, right? You are inviting some things that you might not like the experience of getting. I often advise the person who's telling about their hurt not to be uh, using that kind of angry, blaming voice, right? Like you did this, you did yeah. this. Because that's not going to get a good resolution, right? If the relationship is important to you, especially, it's worth doing it thoroughly, even though it's hard. But the only way out is through. So there's those people
0: who are afraid of saying sorry, so try to avoid it or try to do it in kind of ways that doesn't really get the result they want. And then there's other people, and I probably fall into this category, where you kind of apologize for everything, yes. <laughs> um, even if it's not your fault, just because you want to avoid conflict at all costs. What's wrong in
1: apologizing for everything? It's not sincere. I mean, for many people who are socialized female, there's a kind of a verbal tick. You know, you say you're sorry to furniture when you bump into it, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not really a heartfelt amends making. It's just kind of, mm. oops, excuse me for existing. You know, <laughs> that's, that, that's a different thing. Right. And there's another kind of sorry. That's also not an apology. And that is the condolence. Sorry. You know, somebody gets hurt and you say, oh, I'm so sorry. Or, or some, they lose someone. You say, I'm sorry for your loss. That word, sorry, just like the sorry, when you bump into furniture has very little in common with a real apology. And it's just a limitation of our language that that's one word is used for those three things. That's a really
0: interesting point. You're right. It's kind of in Latin, I think there's like four words for love and we're just stuck with one word. Yeah. It feels like we need a few more, a few more words for this. Talking about the kind of the gender divide, I thought it was really interesting uh, in your book where you bring up the research around how men on the whole or socialized men are usually worse at saying, sorry, why is this? And what is the kind of
1: research in gender and being good at saying, sorry? Well, there's a cultural um, model for masculinity that's, at least in Western cultures, is um, independent, confident, and certain. So that means that the potentially um, bad effect you had on somebody else is not on the radar at all. It's not even relevant. That's not part of the narrative that that kind of model of man lives by it's not the only model of manhood for sure. And it's not the way lots of men live, um, but it is a dominant model. (laughs) And uh, so I do think that makes it a little harder. Um, Boys are shamed for what other people perceive as weak, um, which sometimes means emotional or open or communicative. So they don't do it as much, learn not to do it. Um, And there's recent research um, that if you add testosterone, To a person's body a man's body he makes more mistakes and he's more confident that he's right that's not their fault right biology yeah and so that's like another blind spot you have to overcome that so it takes a little more work i think to override your socialization and maybe your biology to try to be open and responsible
0: so right now as we are all aware we are in a highly destructive council culture and it's almost like, you know, people being shot down for making a mistake yeah. and they say sorry and no one listens. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that and the nature of public apologies? And how can we maybe as a collective start to change the tide on cancel culture? Because it's making everybody fearful of saying anything in case they're going to get shut down too.
1: Yes, it's really dangerous, I think, because it does shut down um, honest communication all over the place. And that's the problem with social media: the speed of social media. The setup is to be fast, is to react fast, and to know for sure how you're reacting right away. And human time is different than that. Understanding something that somebody says or what they meant or requires inquiry and reflection and uh, consideration, and you don't have time for that if you're just reacting, reacting, reacting. So, you know, just pausing and considering, and especially considering in light of the fact that you don't know the whole story. You know, we never know what really happened in relationships with famous people. <laughs> you know, we can guess, we can imagine, we can think, we know. So if you're curious, then you'll pause and try to find out more. But if it's a public person, public apologies often are, are confusing because they're not to the right person sometimes they're made to to the person's fans or public or something, but not to the person, the individual who is harmed. And, and so that's just kind of off to begin with.
0: Yeah, I actually wrote down something you wrote, which I thought was very powerful. And uh, it says, we don't know how the other side thinks. And too often we don't express curiosity in order to understand better. We don't seem to know that we don't know. And it really just goes back to your kind of first point. And I think one of the strongest, you know, things I've really got from this interview is just how much we don't know about what's going on in other people's minds and how we can get angry, we can misconstrue things and we can all end up so much more hurt than any of us need to be because we just, we're not taking the time to understand well, why is that person saying that? What's happened to them for them even to form that viewpoint?
1: Right. And the cancel culture is so extreme, you know, like either somebody is completely exonerated and innocent, or they're a heinous creep, you know, there's no there's no kind of people doing their best muddling along and making a mistake that they can then maybe try to fix. It's, it's so not real about how people actually are.
0: And, you know, in, in reflection of that, you write about an anecdote about the Israeli Prime Minister and Ronald Reagan
1: yeah.
0: and the third way approach. Yeah. And I actually thought that was a lovely thing as almost a kind of answer to how do we separate the person from what they did? Would you mind talking to us about that anecdote?
1: Yeah. So in that case, um, Ronald Reagan was going to visit a cemetery in Germany And uh, it turned out that a number of Nazi uh, officers were buried there. And that was very painful to uh, many Israelis. And they hoped that he would not do it for that reason. But he did. And his friend, the prime minister, didn't denounce him. Uh, He did take exception to the action. But he said, my friend is still my friend. Uh, even when my friend does something wrong, uh, he—it's wrong. It's not not wrong because he's my friend, but he's still my friend. And, and it was an unusual, pu- unusually public ability to hold those two things at the same time.
0: I really love that because that, to me, was a bit of an answer to this kind of cancel culture in the sense that we can still care and love someone, but also able to tell them when it's a mistake and I think it makes it easier if you are the person that made the mistake you don't feel completely socially outcast and alone and unsupported yeah. but you're actually supported in acknowledging your mistake and obviously learning from it. And the last part of your book is the that uh, talking about that aftermath that actually by acknowledging our mistakes, this can grow us as human beings it can actually strengthen our relationships. Why do good apologies make
1: us better? Well, for one thing, they're based on the truth and there's something about denying the truth or insisting on a partial truth that leaves things kind of half done, you know, it leaves things open and awkward um, inside us. And once we face something, you know, it's brave to face your failings. And if you can do that with open eyes and um, tolerate it, then you can actually um, become a better human and your relationships definitely get better. But you know, in the truth and reconciliation trials in South Africa after apartheid, the truth was the emphasis and the truth alone was healing to people. um, And the reconciliation was maybe going to follow. It wasn't part of the requirement of the system. That was the purpose, but the truth was the essential part. And I think this is about uh, a shared truth faced together. So getting good at saying sorry
0: is obviously a fantastic tool for us all to have always but obviously maybe even more needed now the fact that many families are much closer together than they ever have (laughs) been when they've got to work from home Mm -hmm. the UK is in the third lockdown and the US is definitely I I just to someone in Washington they think they might be locked down soon so what is your advice to families who are quite cooped up can't go anywhere and they feel like they're fighting more than ever. What is your advice to people uh to try and navigate conflict a bit better?
1: Yeah, it comes up in two ways, right? It comes up in that way where um if you don't have good ways to deal with conflict, then it uh festers and builds and creates resentment and irrit- irritability, which I mean some, some irritability I think it goes without saying during this time, but it can build more if you don't have a way to actually deal with some of the things that go wrong between you and someone else, which they inevitably do. You know, in general, if you can skip things, if you can get over them, that's great. But if they're still bothering you, they must be addressed or they're going to create more problems. They're going to create more conflict. And a way you can do it is to wonder what you might have done that hurt the other person, as opposed to just thinking about how you've been maybe injured or bothered by the other person. And that's an inquiry you can make. You know, I notice there's a lot of tension between us and I wonder if I've done something That's a great, great tip
0: to actually open it up by acknowledging what you have done before you go after them to tell them what they've done wrong. And one last question I was really hoping to ask you is about is it ever too late for an apology? Because you use an anecdote in your book and a woman is suddenly has kind of remembered that she really behaved not very well in a past relationship and she's thinking about going to apologize to an ex. Now is this just bringing up kind of old wounds that you know maybe everyone feels better if you know the dust has settled let's not bring up the past again or what are your thoughts and obviously this is obviously a case-by-case basis but
1: on the whole do you
0: think it's ever too late for an apology?
1: No it's not inherently too late it might be too late for those people but This is another thing that's come up a lot during COVID. As people have been, many, some people have had a lot of time on their hands or a lot of less of the usual um, occupations that they do to distract them or whatever. They think about old regrets. They think about things that didn't end well. They think about things that left a bad taste in their mouth. And and they consider contacting someone, not not, not only an ex, but an old friend um, or even an old family member they've been um, estranged from. And they, they think about reaching out. And I don't think it's a mistake to reach out and inquire about whether the person would be interested in talking about something that you feel bad about. I don't think you can demand it. And I think people might say no. But why not repair something that could make the future better? You can't, you can't undo the past that you regret, but you might be able to change the future for yourself and for the other person. And, and if you can, you know, why not? It takes some energy, but it's not impossible. That is a really,
0: really lovely thought to finish on. Why not change the future for someone else if you can? Beautiful. I think we can all take just so much wisdom and hopefully action from this conversation. Where is the best place for people to find you if they want to ask questions?
1: But where's the best place to find you? My website is mollyhouse.com. You know, you can send a message through there to me, which I'll get. And if, if people have a book group um, or a discussion group and they would like to use this book, I will come at virtually and I can give you some questions to, to talk about um, for discussion or answer questions. And, um, and you can also say that on my website.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that that is brilliant. Okay. So please, please, please do set up a book club around saying, sorry, I'm sure there's some incredible stories that could come out of that. And also a lot of healing ones. And I will put, as I said, the link to your book, um, in the show notes. So thank you so much for your time, Molly. Thank you for writing this
1: beautiful book. Well, you're a dear and I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. <laughs>
0: thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss download happy not perfect my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes it's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs sending lots of love and energy see you next time Hold up.